Good morning. Working through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We think about the early church. It's a mistake, though, to think of the early church as channeling a pristine, pure version of the gospel that has become confused and distorted over time. Fact is, from the get-go, different versions of the good news were proclaimed, making it hard to know what the good news really was. Paul met Jesus personally and received the good news from Jesus firsthand after he rose from the dead, making Paul unique. He shared the good news in the region of Galatia, located in present-day Turkey, called by God to proclaim the message to non-Jews, to Gentiles. Um, When Paul left from the region of Galatia, present-day Turkey, to preach the good news elsewhere, Jerusalem-based missionaries arrived. And they claimed that the message Paul presented was not the original authorized version of the good news. Being from Jerusalem, where it all started, they claimed to have first-hand knowledge of the genuine gospel. And what they said to those individuals, they accused Paul of taking liberties with the message and changing it. Paul writes this letter to address this charge. He claims that he received the message from Jesus himself after his resurrection, not from any human, any Christian leader. That's what it says, Galatians 2, begin in verse 11. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except the Lord's brethren. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Um, Jerusalem-based missionaries were accusing Paul of having learned his gospel from the Jerusalem authorities, 
the Jerusalem apostles, and then departing from it. And for this reason, when he writes this letter, he details the circumstances of his conversion and how he had limited contact with Jerusalem. He didn't have the opportunity to hear from anyone in Jerusalem because he wasn't there. He insists that his understanding of the gospel did not depend on the Jerusalem apostles. So he couldn't change a message that he didn't get from them in the first place. And you understand why this would be important. It's because as Paul understands it, he was given the authorized version of the gospel, and he wants to pass it on. Any charge that he tampers with it to Paul is deadly, and he's going to fight it tooth and nail. Uh, Paul was introduced, again, to the gospel when Jesus Christ revealed it to him. Let's take a moment to familiarize ourselves with Paul's life, just some, a brief scan of his life. He grew up in a strict Jewish upbringing in a city in what is modern-day Turkey. Um, going from where he lived in Tarsus to Jerusalem, it's about the same distance when you're going from Sufos to Rapid City. That's about how far he lived from Jerusalem. He was born into a Jewish family. The family was strictly observant of the Jewish way of life and maintained its links with the home country. Um, they, I think I've read that the Roman Empire at that time might have been as much as 10% Jewish. So to be a Jew in the Roman Empire was not strange. Um, what usually happened, though, most Jews in the Roman Empire, they spoke Greek and attended synagogues where the scriptures were read and the prayers recited in the Greek language. But Paul, being a little bit more orthodox, a little bit more conservative, was raised in a home where the service was conducted in Hebrew. And they used the Hebrew dialect in their normal mode of speech. Although a Jew, and this is where Paul is peculiarly like some people in the Bible, when you look at some, there's dual citizens. So like Moses. Moses was a Jew, but he was an Egyptian as well. And Paul, the same thing. Paul was a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship at that time was not just a guarantee. It wasn't a slam dunk. It was sought after for a number of reasons. Uh, we don't know how Paul obtained Roman citizenship. Presumably, his father, grandfather, or maybe great-grandfather offered some kind of service to the Roman Empire, and their family was rewarded with the privilege of citizenship, uh, maybe because they came from a family of tent makers. And so it could be that the, the family outfitted the Roman Empire with tents. And if they had done so and went above and beyond, then what would happen is having received that type of gift, then the government would bestow on that one. This was a way to pay them back. Citizenship, maybe that's what happened. One thing for certain is that among the citizens and other residents of Tarsus, the few Roman citizens, now there wasn't, everyone wasn't a Roman citizen. That was really a privilege, something you had to pay or do something to get. Those who were Roman citizens, Greeks and Jews, were part of the social elite. And Paul would have been that. It says, he writes, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. 
among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's parents would have noted that Paul had an, a keen intellect, and he gobbled up religious education. I think I've mentioned before that there were three levels of education in Judaism at the time. There were three different levels. The first level um, it's for children between the ages of, um, I think, 6 through 10. They met in the synagogue five days a week, and by the time they were done, they memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And again, I'm sure a number of us have memorized those books, and we did so before we were 10. Yeah, so. But what ended up happening, some individuals at this point, that was it. You know, then they would become apprentices in the family business. Those who did particularly well were invited to move to the next level of Jewish education between the ages of 10 and roughly 15, and then they would have memorized the remaining Hebrew scriptures. Those who were able to pull this off Again, they were then invited to a third level, which would be kind of somewhat like our doctoral level studies. If you were smart enough and knew your scriptures well enough, you were given the opportunity to learn from a rabbi. And this was a privilege that was given to very few people. Again, you had to have the intellect, the personality, the opportunity, and Paul was one such individual. His parents arranged for him not only to study in Jerusalem, but there was one guy. If you're going to study in Jerusalem in the early part of the first century, and you're going to be able to pick a rabbi, the guy you're going to pick is Gamaliel. He was the ranking Pharisee. He was the one, if you had the connections, the money, the smarts, you sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and you did so for a period of roughly about 15 years. And that's the time it took, sitting under the tutelage of a rabbi. Um, what you did is you thought like the rabbi thought. You sat at the rabbi's feet. You were the rabbi's disciple. And as a disciple, your job was to, as best as possible, think the way the rabbi thinks. And it got, it got kind of almost to the point of ridiculous. You could see a rabbi limping down the street, and you'd see a line of disciples, you know, limping after him. They literally, do what the disciple does. Do what the rabbi does. And that's what they did. Um, Paul then... Um, completed his studies, it would seem, when he talks about uh, advanced in, in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, it usually took about 15 years to complete these doctoral level studies. I think Paul did it in less time. He's brilliant. And he said, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. The chances are, we don't know if Paul ever had a discussion with Jesus, but he certainly knew about him. Um, what is clear, he considered Jesus to be a national threat. That we know. He considered Jesus to be a national threat, whereas Gamaliel was a little bit more cautious. He, he, he would urge caution 
And that's what we find Gamaliel doing. Let's not be too rash. He didn't get to Paul. Paul didn't get that from Gamaliel. Um, Paul sought, and again, at that time he was Saul before Jesus knocked him off his donkey. Onto his, okay, you know what I mean. Saul made it his mission to punish Jews who became Christians. Uh, when Stephen is stoned, what we find, Paul, Saul is the ranking Pharisee. And so when they're looking for someone to validate that what they did was within the jurisdiction of law, they would lay their garments at the feet of the ranking official, and that was Paul. So when Stephen was stoned, Paul was there. And when they looked for a person to say, are we good? Paul said, you put your garment here. Um, in the context of being one who is attacking the church, uh, on the way to Damascus, Paul heard and saw the resurrected Christ. And here's what it's, Acts 26, it's in your worship folder. Paul is explaining this to a king that's what he says. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Again, like Moses before him, Paul had divided political loyalties. He was a Roman citizen, and he was a Jewish political official. In that day, the, there was no separation of church and state. The law of God was the law of the land. The police served the clergy. And so Paul had then obligations to both Rome and Israel. And that might have been okay in the early part of the first century, but as it moved into halfway through the first century, an anti-Roman zealot movement became, began to intensify in Israel. And individuals began to influence one another to throw off the Roman yoke. And at this time, Paul would have found that he was being torn apart. Because on the one hand, he identified with Rome. He's a Roman citizen. On the other hand, he would identify with Israel because he was a Jewish Pharisee. And the tension of these things was difficult for him, to say the least. Jews would have goaded Paul to be a loyal Jew, and Romans would have goaded Paul to be a loyal Roman. Um, Jesus says to him and asks him a question that then answers it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? And then he answers the question, I think. Here's why. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What, what the heck does that mean? 
goading is a goad is a cattle prod used to drive animals, sheep, oxen, whatever, and so it's like a stick with a sharp point. And so what you did is you hit the animal in the flank and you moved it along. And it's a way to prod an animal to get back in line. So here's what Jesus indicates. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Let me let me answer that question, Paul. It's because you're being prodded. That's why you're persecuting me. Prodded in what way? We we did a, a series on this once where we talked about in God we trust. And many people indicate that, well, the goad is that God was poking Paul with, you know, he really is the son of God, boink, boink. You know, Jesus really is the son of God, boink, boink. And, and so what Jesus then is saying, Paul, you know what, you've, re- you've resisted the influence that you've seen that I am God. And I don't think that's it. I think what, what Jesus is saying, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goads didn't come from God. I don't think God goads. God doesn't goad. Individuals who spoke for God claimed that God goaded. The Jewish Pharisees that were with, they would have goaded Paul. Paul, what are you doing? You are using your Romanism to help the Jewish cause, aren't you? Boink, boink. Paul, have you communicated with your family and asked them to use their citizenship to, to take some of the heat off? Point, point. Why haven't you done that yet, Paul? And perhaps he has some Roman officials who are saying to him as well, those who were in the city, because they had a Roman encampment right next to the temple. By the way, Paul, you know that your, your countrymen here are, they're raising the awareness of the Roman government. And they are not going to stand by and allow a rebellion. So if you have any influence, you better use it. Because if Rome comes and squashes this rebellion, it's not going to be pretty. And so what Paul ends up doing, he ends up being, do you understand the tension he would be under? I mean, it was excruciating, and it just got worse and worse. And so what Paul, I think what he might have figured out is this. I'm not sure. Okay. Mm -mm. The Jews don't like Christians, the church. Jewish Christian church, and Romans aren't really thrilled about it either. So I can give myself to persecute the church, and it brings the parts of me together. I'm no longer at war with myself. Maybe that's what happened. I have a sneaking suspicion that was part of what drove Paul. He persecuted the church in a way that no one else did. He just was violent, killing, and he'd go to different cities and and grab them. I think that's what ended up happening. Um, Then Jesus appeared and turned his life and the world upside down. Um, Like Moses before him, he was called from a life of privilege into a life of very difficult service. Um, What it says, and I'll read the... Second part, uh, Paul talks about being called from Judaism and the privilege of being a Jewish official, and he was called to be a steward of the message of the gospel to Gentiles. That's what Paul was pressed into service to do, and he talks about it. But when, in verse 15, Galatians 1, but when he who had set me apart before I was born 
and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Uh, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you, before God I do not lie, James, the Lord's brother, wasn't one of the apostles, but on the far side of Jesus being resurrected from the dead, James, his half-brother, they had the same mother, but not the same father. Jesus wasn't born of the seed of Joseph, but of the seed of God. So his half-brother, who didn't believe in Jesus before Jesus died, ends up becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem and a very, very powerful, influential, godly figure. So when Paul went to Jerusalem, he found Peter, because Peter is the leader, put by Jesus in that role, and then he looks for James the Lord's brother, because he is the leader of the the church in Jerusalem. Um, And then he says, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. The reason why he says this is because he's being accused of lying. Paul said, what? (laughs) Did he tell you that? Let me tell you what happened. He talked to a lot of the apostles, and they would have set him straight. And then he comes here, and then he he ends up trumping up this message that really isn't the message. And, And the people were very confused, very confused. And they were scratching their head, and they said, he seemed to be a pretty good guy, but I guess he hasn't told us the truth. So what ended up happening because of the influence of these individuals from Jerusalem? They started to turn their back on Paul. And when they start to turn their back on Paul and his message, here's the interesting part. They start to try hard again to make God like them. They start to do the things that God had asked the Jews to do. So they started to get circumcised. I mean, that will wreck your day. Then there's... Then they... um, about food laws and and different things. And what ended up happening? The load started to descend on them. And church became not this, but this, and this, and this. And then they start to compare themselves with one another. And the love that existed initially, and in fact what Paul says, they're biting and devouring one another, picking each other out of their teeth, not physically. But they're using comparison to try to fill the void inside. That void had been filled by the grace and love of God when they understood that they were accepted fully. When the gospel became not you're accepted because of Jesus, but the gospel of Jesus plus, you're accepted because of Jesus plus, the load went on. And the love went down. That's what ends up happening. Um, Paul says, Then I went into the regions, in verse 21, of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who once, who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul learned at some point that he had been selected before he was born, 
what he ends up saying. Jeremiah said the same thing. Jeremiah 1, he says, before I form, God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And what I, Paul ended up hearing from Jesus, you know that thing that was said about Jeremiah? That's true of you as well. You were anointed and appointed before you were even born. Um, Jesus' appearance to Paul wasn't a random event. What he ends up saying then, we don't know precisely what happened to Paul. There's three years now from the point that he became a Christian, knocked off his horse, seeing Jesus, to returning to Damascus. There's three years. And um, we don't know exactly what happened in those three years. Uh, it's interesting that Paul fills in a blank here. He says, I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Why did he go to Arabia? Arabia was sparsely populated. Not a lot of Jews, not a lot of Romans. If you're going to a place where you're going to proclaim the gospel, Arabia is not it. Right? It's not it. So what did he go there for? It probably was not to proclaim the gospel, but he probably went there to understand it. We didn't have details. We don't have details about this, but possibly where Paul went is here. You know what this is? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, where the old covenant, where Moses walked up the mountain to receive the tablets from God. It's entirely possible that Paul went back to Syria, Arabia, excuse me, and to this mountain, and perhaps stayed there for a while. And why? Seeking to understand what happened. What Paul understood in a way that no one else did at the time, God isn't just changing Judaism. God is changing covenants. And Paul saw that before anyone else did. And I think the reason he saw it perhaps is because of what he was told on that mountain. We don't know. We don't have details. What Paul does say in 2 Corinthians is that he saw visions. And whether he was in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. What All he knows is he has some supernatural experiences. And what he says, Jesus appeared to him and told him what the message was. Can you imagine? I'd like to have been in the bushes looking on as he went up on this mountain, perhaps, and at the place where God gave Moses the old covenant, the Son of God gave Paul the new one. And he said, Paul, this isn't just a little interruption. I came to die on the cross to inaugurate the new covenant. You know the one that talks about in Jeremiah? That's what I, And you know what I'm doing, Paul? I am selecting you to be my new covenant spokesperson to the Gentiles. Now, what do you think of that? And you know what Paul ended up probably thinking about that? That's kind of good news and bad news. 
And at the time, it was good news. But what Jesus indicated to him, and he doesn't give us details. I'm not sure what Jesus told Paul. Do you think he might have told him? By the way, Paul, you have probably about 15, 20, 25 years, but Jerusalem is going to fall. And the foundation for the church needs to be in place before Jerusalem does fall. Remember Jesus, when he was walking into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, wept because what he knew, the city of Jerusalem was going to fall. And perhaps, we don't know, perhaps Paul learned that at the time. And Jesus said, you can't tell anyone. But all we know is that Paul was tremendously motivated by what he heard. Um, more than anybody at the time, Paul came to understand the radical change that Jesus brought. I, don't, I think it's a mistake to think that God knocked Paul off the horse and then everything clear, right like that, like downloaded it. You know, downloaded makes, you know, if, if you're in a, you have a pretty good server, might take a couple minutes, you know, but we think when Paul downloaded into Paul, you know, the, the line's moving pretty quick. You know what I mean? Maybe it took a day, you know, boom, you know, finish, bing, you know. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, we know about the brain, the brain doesn't change fast. If change is going to be deep, it's not going to be quick. That's why I would encourage you, watch out for Get Spiritual Quick seminars. Spirituality doesn't happen fast. Well, Jesus indicated that when his word remains, then, and you guard it, you end up knowing the truth, and the truth liberates you. It doesn't liberate you now. It's over time. Over time. And that's what I think what happened to Paul. Um, he didn't change quickly. Um, he learned, though, that what was happening wasn't just about Judaism going to Christianity. It was about an old covenant becoming a new covenant. You say, well, what's the difference? There's a difference because I still think there's a lot of confusion today. There are people in the church, many, I would say, and I haven't been everywhere, but it did occur to me, I, and I've asked this before, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'll do a shorthand. Maybe I will. Growing up, how many of you, and again, I don't want to blow up churches here, but I just want to make a point. How many of you heard in enough detail to understand that it was significant the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? How many? I see a couple hands. Talk about a verse. I like what it says in the New King James Version. It talks about, um, what does it say? I wrote this down. Study to show you thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm going to throw something out there. The significant change that Jesus would have told Paul about was that the old covenant had been supplanted by the new that you don't have two 
operating systems. It's like going from a PC to a Mac. They don't, I think you can run both of them if you get the right program parallels, but before that, they're different operating systems. Old covenant operating system and the new covenant operating system cannot coexist. That's the thing that Paul saw and that he had a hard time getting people to understand. People thought, well, yeah, it's kind of like what God says to Moses on Mount Sinai, that he blesses those who obey and curses. God still does that, but he's a little bit nicer about it. You know, God ran out of bullets. So he's nicer on this side of the cross because he got some of his anger out of the way, and that's not what happened. And it wasn't that he punished his son, so he felt better about it. Okay, I'll overlook your sin, because I punished my son, and now I feel a little bit better about it. That's not what happened. You know what happened at the cross? Well, what does it say? We're going to celebrate it. After they had eaten, what he said, this is the, in my blood, this is the, the new covenant. You know what Jesus came to do? To inaugurate the new covenant. And the new covenant is that he writes his law on your mind and puts it in your heart. And he is your God and you're his person. Here's what it says. He is helios or gracious. Helios is a Greek word. And what it means is gracious, favorable, benevolent, merciful. That's what it means. So the new covenant Here's what it says. I will be helios to their unrighteousnesses. You say, what is he, helios, Mike? What, 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 what again? Helios is gracious, favorable, benevolent, merciful. That's what the new covenant. I will be helios to their unrighteousnesses and will remember their sin no more. Is that the operating system that God is operating by? Do you know what the communion table tells us? Yes. Why haven't we heard about it? How can you rightly divide the word of truth if you don't know what divides it? And what ends up happening if we, the minors eclipse the majors and we end up not seeing the forest for the trees and we get so wrapped up in minutia, how to get baptized, how this happens, how that you know the reason why we get caught in all the peripheral stuff? Because we're not clear about the important stuff. What's the important stuff? There was an old covenant, Jesus died on the cross, and now there's a new one. And the new covenant is God is not counting your sins. You say, Well, I'm not sure that's what the new covenant is. And when we believe that it makes a difference. Paul tried to communicate that, and he ran into trouble wherever he went. And so what ended up, he ended up telling this to the Galatians, and they said, Are you kidding me? Are you really saying to me that I'm accepted by God fully? Paul said, That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, if that's true, then are you saying that God likes me? Yes, I'm saying that. And that's what they felt. And so you know what they started to do? They started to be more loving. Started to love themselves and love others until the individuals came in. <clears throat> you, know, you know what Paul said? 
And the, after Paul left, they end up saying, okay, yeah, you know what Paul talked about. You know, you're accepted because of Jesus. I hate to tell you this, but Paul played a little fast and loose with the truth. Because if you've looked, there are some obligations, are there not? God did give commandments from Mount Sinai. He did, right? Right? And you know what he said about those? You know what happens to people who sin, don't you? They're cursed. A lot of people died in the Old Testament. I'm sorry to say Paul took the message and he changed it. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. And you know what happened? They went out of there scratching their head. And their love started to disappear. Because the burden came down. Again, you say, wait, 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 hey, time, time out, Mike. Are you saying it's okay that we do whatever we want? No, no, it isn't. You know where we find the strength to love, which is what he wants us to do? Where does the strength to love come from? Being afraid of God, right? Isn't that the way it works? You're, you're scared stiff of God, and it really makes you want to be loving, doesn't it? Isn't that the way it works? Of course that's not the way it works. It didn't work that way in Galatia. That's what happened to them. They became afraid, and their love disappeared. There's no fear. Fear and love are like oil and water. You're saying, well, what do I need to do to be the person who God wants to be? You know what you need to do? I'm going to do communion in a little bit. I want you to think about what it means. Think about what it means. It doesn't mean, okay, God, I'm really sorry, and so maybe you'll... Look away this time from what I did yesterday. And again, this is controversial, but it's what it means. I want you to picture God's face before you did that thing yesterday or the day before. Can you imagine God's face? And then you did the thing. And what was God's face like after you did the thing? We have different views. Some of us, he's disappointed. Kind of feels so bad he's not able to influence you to do what he wants you to do. And so he kind of sees what you did and he gets a little bit misty. I wish I could help them, but I can't. Or maybe he gets angry. God's face didn't change when you did that thing. That thing. It didn't change. And you know what would happen if you believe that? It would change you. That's the new covenant. And that's what Jesus came to offer. And that's what what Paul understood. And we still don't understand it today. By and large. I don't know why. I do know why it's talked about. I I think I have a sense. Again, I'm not going to go on a soapbox. I'm almost, I have to be done. I'm kind of going. Okay, I'm going to shut up. Say this one thing though. I don't think it's we can do away, and again, in church, it's hard to do away with the Old Covenant. Again, giving is necessary. But tithing, that God commands a tithe, I think the command to tithe died when Jesus did. Are you saying, Mike, don't give? Please, no. But giving is to be voluntary. 
You're to give because it's something you believe in, not because God's going to crash something down. It's not going to happen. And I think that's what ends up happening. Because of the need to keep the tithe in place, I, I think the clarity that might be there perhaps is not forthcoming anyway. Um, the inability to distinguish between covenants, I think, creates spiritual schizophrenia. And what I'd invite you to do, keep coming back. We're going to talk about this all the time, week after week after week. Not the same thing, but why, Mike? Because it's necessary. It's necessary. It's what he talks about. And as this understanding gets into your mind, it starts to transform you. It does. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to have some music and then go take the bread and the, the juice. And I want you to think, when you're taking those items, think about this is a celebration of a new covenant. Will you write your law in my heart? You cause me to know you and your Achilles to my unrighteousnesses. You're graceful, gracious, merciful, benevolent, favorable, and thank him for it. Father, thank you for covenants and that they, you don't leave it to guesswork for us to understand the relational ground rules by which you operate. And the Bible is a record of different types of operating systems, different kinds of ground rules, and we have gone from the old to the new. And I'd ask that we would, over time, become more clear about that, and the clarity would change us. And again, you don't function quickly, so it can allow us to, to continue to see it a little bit at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.